This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers and 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. right we're back season two episode two fresh on the heels of episode one which was with uh, luke robitaille yesterday we're coming to you today from the dan gratton studios in warm and wintry southern california db we're already back for another episode in season two what's going on we're going back to back and belly to belly it's great and and we're starting at the top of the food chain again, john so i'm uh, looking forward to this episode yeah for sure um hey look though db here's some news for you and i don't know if this is either good news or bad news depending upon your your outlook of things but last year during christmas week we produced five episodes of kings of the podcast it was our gift to the listeners um this year instead of five we're only going to do three shows so this is the second of our three pack this week hey fantastic thank you john appreciate that <laughs> I remember those recording sessions. I uh, almost didn't survive. I, I know. I was joking with you off air a couple of days ago that you've never said no to me for anything, and I've never seen any look of concern or worry in your face except that one week when you looked at me. You didn't say anything, but you just looked at me kind of out of the side of your eye a little bit, and, and your, your, your look said everything. So that's okay. Only three shows this week. Thank you for uh, the stamina. Have another Red Bull. We'll get through this. Uh, season two kicked off yesterday, of course, with Luke Robitaille. Thank you to him for joining us. Um, and today, in the second period, we're going to have the LA Kings head coach, Todd McClellan, and then we're, uh, we're looking to be back tomorrow with another episode as well, heading into the Christmas break. But... Um, Look, last year, those were some great shows, DP. We had uh, Tony Granado. He came on and talked about Turcotte, told some great stories about his time with the Kings. We also had Rob Stauber on. And then how about that? We had Colin Frazier. But how about that episode with Roman Volpot? Oh, <laughs> epic. 
He's, I mean, that's a lot of uh, bitterness and anger to carry with you totally. decades and decades later. Yeah, it was. That was our most, I guess, unique. Other than maybe the Dustin Penner episode, that was the most unique episode we've done. All right. Well, uh, look, let's let's uh, top it off by here here talking about the name of the studio today. Um, I don't know if you saw or, or, or listened as I slipped that in there, but um, had to follow up on the player that Robitaille made reference to yesterday. He mentioned making Luke did mentioned making the 1986 World Junior Team. Which, by the way, if there's anybody listening that has not listened to the Robitaille episode, you have to. If not for just that one story, right? He told a great story about the 1986 World Juniors team and how he made it. And um, so he was he was at camp with fellow Kings prospect Dan Gratton, uh, who was cut from Team Canada to make room for Robitaille. And that certainly caught my attention because they cut a first-round pick to keep Luke, who was, as everybody knows, taken in the ninth round. That just never happens, okay? So I wanted to dig in a little bit. But not only that, uh, Gratton was on the Canadian gold medal winning team the year before. So... He had like two things going for him. He he was a returning player off a gold medal team, so he's not going to get cut. Sure. He's a first round draft pick. He's not going to get cut. I guess he had three things going for him. The guy that he was trying to beat out was Luke Robitaille, who was a ninth round pick, and somehow Luke did it. So listen to the story. Uh, but I wanted to know more about this Dan Gratton guy. Uh, it certainly was not a name that I uh, remembered or knew much about. There was all sorts of craziness, though. Um, and so I just, I wanted to dig in. So who is this guy? So first things first, the Kings had two first round draft picks in 1985 and Grattan was one of them. Well, why did they have two, two first round picks? So they had their own selection, which was at number nine. And then at number 10, they took Dan Grattan. Well, how did they get that pick? They had traded Charlie Simmer to Boston to get that pick. So that, that's, that in and of itself is a, is a fun and interesting story. Um, the Kings have only selected 10th overall Twice, by the way, DB, although they've had a lot of high first round picks at slot 10, only twice, Grattan in 85, and this other guy that you might have heard of, Jim Fox, back in 1980. So mm. we can say that one of those two picks worked out. Um, more on Grattan. Fascinating stuff, DB. Uh, he only played seven games for the LA Kings. So not only did Luke beat him out for the World Junior uh, team, but then, of course, Robitaille went on to have a, a long and distinguished career in the National Hockey League. Poor Gratton. He only played seven games for the Kings, but check this out. He scored one goal in those seven games, and it was February 6th, 1988. Who did the Kings play? The Oilers, of course, uh, and the King, yeah, right. The Kings won that game seven to two. Another interesting thing: Luke had a goal in that game. It's kind of like salt in the wound when you look back on it. Um, Luke scored in that game. Uh, Gratton scored the seventh goal with about five minutes left in the game. Uh, the Kings ended up winning, as I mentioned, uh, in that game seven to two. Now that was his second to last game. Gratton, that is, he only, he played one more game. He played the next game against Calgary. He was pointless in that game, and that was it for his NHL career. So, uh, but Dennis, guess what? The story's not over. There's more. No. Check this out. Um, after, after his short-lived career with the LA Kings, he signs with Minnesota, which would have been the North Stars at that point. Um, he never played in the NHL again, though. But while a member, this is a weird one, while a member of the Minnesota North Stars organization and team, he did go on a barnstorming tour uh, with Montreal. So, so the Habs and the North Stars hooked up and they went over in 1990 and played the NHL Friendship Tour in the Soviet Union. So he was sort of, uh, he was connected to an NHL team, even though he wasn't playing NHL games. But this is where it gets really interesting, too. If you go further back, back in the OHL, this is when he was uh, being drafted in his early years, of course. Um, check this out. Good thing Twitter wasn't around back then, by the way, because there's, there's all sorts of fun stuff uh, tied up in this. 
Grattan, he failed to win a spot on the LA Kings roster out of training camp one year, and so he wanted to go play for the Canadian Olympic program. But the Kings wouldn't give him up because at that time, in order to play in the Olympics, it was a two-year commitment um, because you had to train and everything with Team Canada. And uh, so Grattan wasn't happy that the Kings wouldn't let him go. Uh, do this. They, they didn't want him to commit to two years to doing that. Um, and so while he's sitting out in Brantford, the Kings contacted him, uh, according to the stories that I read, and they insisted, hey, you need to return to Oshawa. We don't want you to, you know, sit on the sidelines during this, this time period in your life. It's a critical time in your development. Um, so 17 days later, he came back to the team. He had like a kind of a holdout, I guess, but, and allegedly he was no longer requesting a trade. But again, the story turns because now the organization there in Oshawa is not happy with him uh, after all. Um, and so the Oshawa, I guess, general manager was quoted as saying that he looks like he's just going through the motions out there. Uh, he's what the GM told the local paper. Instead of being a dominant player, he's not even noticeable. And um, so what did they do? They end up trading him uh, in November of 85, uh, in the OHL, that is. So interesting, though. And DB, your ears might have perked up when I said Brantford, Ontario, because, yes, that is the, the hometown of Wayne Gretzky. And come to find out that... Uh, Gratton was friends with Wayne's brother, Keith, interestingly. Uh, and so there's all sorts of little stuff. And then later, this is a little, little footnote, but uh, later on he played in the UHL, or excuse me, he was a coach in the UHL, and they were short some players. He came out of retirement and uh, played four games. So love to hear those stories of when guys are player coaches. And so that happened back in uh, 97, 98. There is your story today about the name of the studios, uh, Gratton, which was first brought to our attention by Luke Robitaille. Way to ruin your career. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of messages in there, kids, okay? Don't demand a trade uh, when you're in the Ontario Hockey League, uh, among many, many other things. But, hey, he won a gold medal with Team Canada. So uh, that, that is an honor in and of itself, right? Uh, and then, look, if you're going to lose a spot on your World sure. Junior team to a ninth-round draft pick, at least you're doing it to the all-time greatest left wing, um, and it all worked out in the end, I guess. Uh, who knows? We'll, we'll see if we can get a hold of Dan Gratton and have him on a, an episode fu- future in the future, down the road, DB. We have a lot to cover, but um, real quickly, before we get to Todd, he's on the other side of the break. We want to get to him. I do have a couple of quick follow-up notes um, from the last episode that are uh, more relevant, perhaps. I had mentioned Ray Ferraro, the little ball of hate, and as you pointed out, that was actually Pat Verbeek's name, nickname, and I said that uh, Ray's nickname was a riff on that. I went back, I looked it up, and he's the big ball of hate instead of the little ball of hate, so I don't know. There you go. And a um, little trivia note, if you like trivia, DB, Ray Ferraro also played in the uh, Little League World Series back in the late 70s. So, Really? Yeah, fascinating, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. He did. Uh, I think it was 76, 77. John, I, ha- I, have some, I have some breaking news. Okay. News that you may track down now. This, this, this is going to – I hope you're sitting down and not staying up while you're doing it. Okay, so um, you're going to have to get a hold of Alex Turcotte at some point. Because Chipotle has just announced that they are launching a Miley Cyrus burrito. And we have to find out <laughs> if uh, Alex would ever uh, order a Miley Cyrus burrito. Uh, look, I don't think there's one thing on the Chipotle menu that he would not order. Um, and by the way, I have yet to try. I don't. Was it Brock Faber who told us uh, I needed to try the, the, the vinaigrette sauce on the bowl at Chipotle? I have not done that yet. I need to do that. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, today's not the day to bother Turcotte with Chipotle stories, though, t- uh, because you have the uh, the exhibition games that are that are coming up at the World Juniors. Um, that's wow, Dennis, you're plugged in on the Chipotle news, though. That's that's good stuff. I know. <laughs> uh, one other thing here before we wrap up and bring on Todd, that's not 
Chipotle related. Um, Luke Robitaille, of course, the only Kings player to win the Calder Trophy back in 1987. But I thought I would go back and look at the Jack Adams with Todd McClellan coming on today. There was only one coach that has won the Jack Adams Award for the best coach in NHL uh, or in LA Kings history, I should say. And interestingly enough, in 74-75, that coach was... Bob Pulford, who we also spoke about yesterday, Dean Lombardi's father-in-law. Although I'm sure in '74 he wasn't Lombardi's father-in-law yet, but this that's how it is all the played. last minute of play in the period. Last thing uh, to mention, uh, Dennis, before we move on, just want to give a quick shout out to Dave Joseph, good buddy of ours. He's no longer with the LA Kings organization. He did put out a tweet yesterday thanking the Kings fans and sort of uh, you know saying that he'll see everybody down the road. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I believe that. Um he, like other people, will probably be uh, leaving Los Angeles. I know he's been in Nashville the last couple of days looking at some uh, properties, so maybe he'll wind up in Tennessee. Yeah, it's, uh, DJ's a great guy and uh, one of the founding members of the Four Horsemen. We wish him nothing but the best. Cool. And uh, he He's right now tied with uh, with Hammer from Violent Gentleman for the most appearances ever on Kings of the Podcast, so we'll have to see who breaks the tie in the uh, in the upcoming season. But let's, let's skip ahead. Uh, making his debut, his first ever appearance on Kings of the Podcast on the other side of the break is the head coach of the LA Kings, the Todd father himself, Todd McClellan. We'll be back after the break. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. Welcome back, second period, and joining us now, head coach of the Los Angeles Kings, Todd McClellan. Todd, how are you? I'm doing great, fellas. How are you guys? Hopefully everybody's healthy. Well, that is the most important thing in 2020, right? So uh, same to you and your family. We hope everything is great. But look, um, right off the hop here, things have been absolutely crazy since you moved to Los Angeles. Players have been getting traded. The NHL season has been canceled. It's been wild times around here. Any regrets about signing with the Kings? Not one bit. I just hope that I'm not the trigger for all of this stuff. But uh, no, not one regret. Not one regret about coming to LA. Uh, life here has been great for myself and my family, and uh, the organization's been tremendous. Uh, the, the plan that we laid out is is still being worked on. We haven't deviated from it. Uh, we're treated very well uh, from ownership on down, and and everything about being here so far has been uh, been really good for everyone. Well, good. Yes, we don't think you're the trigger. We think you're more of the solution than the problem. But uh, we'll get we'll get into that as we as we go along here. Look, everybody knows you as a coach, but let's go back in time a little bit. You played junior hockey in the dub. You were drafted by the New York Islanders in the fifth round, 1986. Played a couple years in the American League, had a small cup of coffee. But when did you know that your future was not as a pro hockey player? Well, I probably should have known earlier. I wasn't an overly talented player, uh, worked hard, could skate a little bit, and, and had a strong desire to play. And 
And those types of players don't really want to admit they probably don't have enough skill to, to play at the NHL level. But uh, I knew when I had my, my third shoulder surgery that I was probably done and uh, couldn't play again. In fact, it was recommended by the Islander doctors that I look at doing something different. Mm. Um, went home, healed up, and, and ended up going to Europe for a little bit, played some college hockey. I just didn't want to let go. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I finally let go, I got into coaching, and I've been doing it ever since. So uh, that's that's my story in a nutshell, and here I am. All right, so 20 years behind the bench in professional hockey as a coach, but you also spent five years coaching in the minors, and before that, uh, six years coaching in the WHL. But I believe you also spent two years with the North Battlefield North Stars, right? One as an assistant, one as a head coach? That was uh, – actually, I was a head coach both those years. So that's where I started my career. And, uh, uh, it was a Tier 1 league, so which is a league below the Western Hockey League, the dub, as you call it, uh, in Saskatchewan. Uh, that's where I got my first job. It was uh, real exciting for me. I think I was 20, 23, 24 years old, and some of the players on that team were 21. So I, I took a lot of responsibility on – over and above the uh, the X's and O's of hockey and winning and losing, I had to manage uh, the players away from the rink, their lifestyles, curfew calls, um, you know, keeping them in line in the community. So uh, I grew up fast. It was baptism by fire. I've used that a couple times already. And uh, two years after that, I was lucky enough to get a job in, in the Western League. And, and, and quite frankly, that doesn't even happen anymore. Somebody took a chance on a young guy that was inexperienced, that was in Swift Current. Uh, now a lot of uh, up-and-coming NHL coaches or assistant coaches go back to major, junior, and coach. So uh, the fact that I got a lucky break and took advantage of it was uh, very fortunate for me. Now, I have a picture of you, the team, the North Stars, uh, back then, and, and it looks like this team was black, silver, and white. So there was some, some foreshadowing to some of your uh, later, later colors that you would be associated with. I never thought of that, but you're, uh, you're exactly right. The, the color scheme was, was identical to what we have right now. Um, I know the color scheme on the top of my head wasn't the same. It was a dark hair then and uh, gray hair now. So that's what coaching will do to you. It did take me a while to figure out which one you were in the picture. I'll be honest. Um, look, when you were uh, in the WHL in Saskatoon, Trent Yanni was your teammate. And now you guys are still together all these years later. That's a, that's a level of trust like Rob Blake has with Nelson Emerson. Um, what, just give us some of your earliest memories of, of Trent Yanni. Well, Jans was a, uh, was a really uh, astute player. He had a lot of details in his game. He had a little bit of nastiness in him. Uh, and, and every day was important to Trent. You know, that's one of the things that I appreciated about him. Was when he came to practice, he got there to get better. It wasn't just because the coach was telling him to, to work on drills or anything like that. He genuinely wanted to get better. And, uh, he was drafted, uh, obviously, and, and worked on his game enough to play a, a good, healthy time in the National Hockey League and as a result uh, he learned a lot and he's been able to relay that into a, a real good uh, pro coaching career and um, you know you, you mentioned that Jans obviously was a, a teammate of mine and a lot of times people think yeah you just go hire your friends or your teammates I have a lot of friends that I played with and, and didn't hire them Jans is a genuine <laughs> coach that uh, that means a lot to the players that are here into the organization and to me as well. He's a, he's a very loyal human being and uh, something that I appreciate a lot in him. 
Now, on the flip side of that, Marco Sturm, uh, this is somebody that, you know, sort of out of left field, and you've had to k- kind of find a way to, to make it work. Those are my words, if you will. But just how, how's the courtship? How's the relationship? From what I've told by others, you guys maybe hit your stride in the second half of last season and really figured out how to work together. Is that a, is that a fair assessment? I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. I don't think we had any uh, hiccups early in the year. It was just him understanding um, – you know, terminology, the way we wanted to play. It's difficult being the third guy on a staff when the other two have been together in the past. And that happened to me in going to Detroit. Mike Babcock and Paul McLean had been together in Anaheim. Uh, I entered the, the fray as kind of the outsider, if you will. And it was uncomfortable for a little while. They they knew what they were talking about. Uh, Babs would say a word and, and Paul knew what it meant. Uh, that happened here in our locker room with, with Trent and I, with Jans and I, uh, and Marco had to catch up. And it wasn't that he didn't have the ability or didn't want to. It just took some time. But uh, we're very fortunate to have him on the staff. Uh, he's got a, uh, a current and a bright uh, eye on the game. I think he's got so much more to give uh, the team as the years go on here. And, uh, you know, when Jans and I are, are retiring, uh, Marco's going to be continuing on. He's, he's young enough and he's got a lot of years ahead of him. So um, nothing but uh, but a lot of runway in front of him and he's a tremendous coach. Well, then I'm going to have to call Marco and I'm going to have to have him translate because maybe I don't understand Todd speak. At the very first uh, press conference here in Los Angeles, when you were introduced, afterwards we're you know hanging out, talking, whatever, and you said, hey, let's get lunch. Let's get to know each other. And I'm still waiting. So maybe I don't understand Todd speak. Well, you know what that means is give me a call and make sure that you're buying and I'll show up. So I haven't got the call yet, but, uh, All right. you know, you media guys are famous for free food and, uh, we'll take advantage of it one day. I actually would love to sit down with you guys and, uh, and, and talk. I think we created a, a pretty good relationship throughout the year and, um, you know, in, in any type of market, the media, um, are, are always important because they're selling, the players they're selling the team and you two are as passionate as as there is in uh, in a non-traditional market but you help us get our our excitement out to our fans and and draw new fans so i do appreciate it and thanks for that todd todd i want to talk about continuity so look it looked like it was a, a season of two seasons you'd see the last 20 games the last quarter of the season you could clearly see this team you know gr- grasped what you were teaching. I think there were 11, eight and one down the stretch, but you have said, and I think you said it towards the end of that season, it's almost impossible to have continuity between seasons. Now there's 10 months between regular season games. Like how can you maintain the strides this team made down the stretch coming into the season? Well, you know, I may as well be honest. I don't know that we can, we're going to try. We're going to do everything in our power, but, when I sit in my office today, uh, two weeks before our training camp is going to start, and I think back to last year, two weeks before training camp starts, uh, in my mind, we're significantly further along. So when I run into Kopitar or Brown or even Lazad in, in the locker room now, they have a better sense of who I am, how I behave, my language, my mannerisms, and in turn, I have a better sense of, of them. So our relationships are, have grown already. They now know what to expect when it comes to practice uh, and expectations of our staff um, and, and player relationships. 
they have a real good idea of how we want to play and some of the terminology that we'll use. Uh, so the players that were here for the majority of the season last year should have uh, a foundation laid. Because of the length of time, we're going to have to reestablish that. We're going to have to bring them back and talk about all the details that come into uh, into the system and the structure that we have. Um, but I do believe that the players are more comfortable. I do believe they know what to expect. I think we're just going to refresh a lot of uh, of old memories and hopefully get the things um, quicker. With that said, we're still a young team. We've got players that haven't been in our organization that are going to have to get up to snuff real quick. So, uh, like any year, it's it's um, reestablish with the older players, bring the young players in. The quicker we can put it into play, the better chance we have at success. Let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing on the whiteboard and, and putting line combinations together. And I'm sure that you've put stuff up and you've erased it and you've started over and probably dozens, if not hundreds of times. But, you know, we are getting down to training camp starting here uh, just after Christmas. Is the assumption a good one that the top line of Kopitar, Brown, and, and Ayafalo probably would be together because they have that familiarity and, and you don't have exhibition games to work with? I think that's fair to say throughout our lineup. Uh, you know, when you when you start with a D pairs, for example, I, I think you're going to see a lot of similarities to where we ended last year. Uh, obviously, with Mata uh, entering the fray, uh, there's a good chance he'll be paired up with Drew, and uh, we'll start camp that way. Uh, at least they're familiar with each other and their tendencies for the most part. Uh, the lines, as much as we can keep them together, at least to start, to formulate a, a strong foundation right off the bat, I, see, I think you'll see a lot of that as well. Uh, obviously, we've lost some players. Not everybody's back uh, from, from last year, so there'll be some holes to fill. But without exhibition games, with a real short camp, We'll try and keep it as familiar as possible, try and get off to a really good start. And then, uh, as needed throughout the year, we'll move players around. Uh, Players will learn promotions, and players will, frankly, earn demotions as well uh, based on their play, and and that's going to happen like any year. Uh, Todd, I want to focus on your best defenseman, or guy who should be your best defenseman, Drew Doughty. Um, you've, You've coached against this player when he was at his best, when he was an elite Clearly last season, he wasn't at that level. Now, there's two ways to look at it. You can look at it negatively or positively. Negatively, you could say, hey, this kid's played a 1,000 games, and he's an intense player, and there's a lot of tread off the tires at 31. And to be frank, he's never been the most highly conditioned athlete, so maybe at this age, um, that could be an issue. Positively, you could say, hey, look, this guy never played with a steady D partner last season. And now you have Mata. He's a stable defenseman. He's 26 years old. That should help him. And probably because the way Drew is, maybe he's just doing too much. And he tried to do everything because the team wasn't that talented. And maybe he just over, you know, overcompensated for uh, the lack of talent on this team as it struggled early in the season. So where do you see Drew's season landing this year, Todd? Well, I, first of all, I, I think that when you talk about Drew Doughty, you still talk about him, or at least I view him as being one of the top defensemen in the National Hockey League. Um, His situation here with us, he still plays 25 to 27 minutes a night. Uh, He didn't have a steady partner last year. Um, You know, now with Ole Matta coming in, Ole's won two cups. He's been to world championships. He's been an important player on national teams. I think when Drew looks over, if if the marriage between those two is, 
is what I hope it will become. I think that's a really good thing for Drew as an individual. Uh, let's face it, if, if Drew Doughty wasn't in the lineup for the, the LA Kings uh, last year or any year, uh, this team's in a, in, in a lot worse situation than they've been in. Um, and uh, we know that Drew can still play in a, a, a high production type game. The offense probably hasn't been there as much, but he, like all the others, were learning a new system last year. He had to deal with uh, three or four different coaches over a three-year sure. period. Uh, transition of a team where a lot of his uh, Stanley Cup mates uh, were, were shipped out. And, and Drew is the youngest of the, the remaining veterans. So he had uh, he had a, a real firm tie to some of the younger veterans that were gone, the Cliffords, the Lewis uh, Toffoli, those type of players were more in his range. It, it may have affected him a little bit more than uh, than some of the older players on our team, but um, we're lucky to have him. We think he's going to have a tremendous year. He wants to win, um, so he's, he he's sometimes hurt by the fact that we don't have uh, the, the team that they had when they won the Cup. Uh, but we're hoping that he looks at it long-term and realizes that he could still be the player he was in the past. Uh, that we appreciate them, and that was some of the talent we have coming. If everybody's a little bit patient, we think that we can uh, build a team that was as good as it was in in, in the cup years, but it's going to take some time. Yeah, interesting perspective there about the uh, age, distribu- age distribution. Um, look, looking back at forwards, uh, Todd, on the second line, if you have Velarde and Ferk as a pair, and then on the third line, probably Lazat and Carter, what are, you, what are you thinking about over there on the, the left wing? Does Kempe maybe stay with Lazat and Carter, or does he does Kempe slide up and play with Velarde and Ferk? What's going on there? Well, we've got – I think we're going to start training camp with Kempe, Velarde, and Ferk. Um, one thing that we found with uh, with Adrian Kempe is one he played better on the wing. Mm-hmm. Two, he plays better when he's he's the alpha on the line. Um, and what I mean by that is he's more seasoned. He's somebody that the younger players will look to. Uh, you put him with Kopi and Brown, and he 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 tends to take a back seat to those two. Um, so if we can keep him the alpha on a line, and certainly with Velarde with his inexperience, uh, yet his talent level. Uh, I think that uh, that Kempe can help him get through some of the uh, pitfalls that that happen to young players. And Ferker's a shooter, so maybe we can get him a puck uh, every now and then. He can put it in the net. So we're looking at that as a line: uh, Lizzo, Carter, and uh, either Moore or Wagner on, on one of those wings, and then uh, Ahmad's. Uh, at, at the center ice position and, and a variety of different options. Everybody's got to come in and earn a spot uh, as far as wingers go. And we have some established players. We have some players that are uh, on the cusp of either making it or not, and they need to have really good tra- training camps and, and, and a good start to the year. And then we have some unpredictable kids in training camp. We think they're skilled. We think that they're they're close to being ready. Uh, but if they're not, the worst thing we can do is put them in a situation where they fail. And uh, we don't need to do that with young players at the age of uh, you know, 18, 19, 20. They have, to, they have to feel like they're having success for them to grow. And uh, we'll have some important decisions to make, not only in the next couple weeks, but also in the next uh, two months. So 18 months ago, you know what you signed up for. Do you ever get sick of hearing this is a team of the future and the prospects and Byfield and Velarde? And do you ever walk in, into Rob's office and say, can you just give me the keys to the Ferrari and let me just drive it all the way through? 
Well, we're coaches, so we uh, we always want more. Uh, you know, if I had a Ferrari, I'd probably want a, a better car. I don't know if there's a better one out there, but uh, we're, we're always wanting more. But I know what I signed up for. Uh, I was excited about the project that, that we're a year into right now. Uh, in fact, I made the comment uh, the other day to somebody, hey, you know what, the, I think they mis- misunderstood me. The rebuild and the... the, the the uh, retool of the team isn't over. We've just gone through the first phase and that was trying to get our cap situation organized to get uh, a certain veteran core here and to stockpile uh, the organization with prospects. There's so many more steps that are, that need to be taken and a lot of work that needs to be done before we become championship caliber. But uh, 19 months ago, I knew what I was getting into. Um, I liked the people and the organization and the plan. And I'm just as excited today as I was uh, uh, 19 months ago. I I enjoy uh, working with these players. They're a great group. There's a lot of championship habits in them. Uh, they're willing to change and, and find uh, new ways of playing the game and try and play it a little bit faster. Uh, do we have work to do in all areas? We do, absolutely. And every player has to get better and have a great year. Uh, I don't know where that's going to take us this season. Uh, I hope that we can push for, uh, uh, you know, some extra games later in the, in the year when other teams go home. Uh, that certainly will be a goal, but I don't know if we're there yet. Um, but we'll see if we can in- improve. Hey, Todd, let's go back to the kids that you were talking about for just a moment. I won't ask you about Mikey Anderson because we'd have to book you for an extra half hour. I just I, I love the kid, and uh, you seem to take a liking to him. Uh, at forward, though, uh, Sammy Fagamo and Leah Sanderson. These are two interesting players to me just because of the way that the dates are lining up for training camp. You're, some of your other prospects, Byfield, et cetera, uh, will be tied up at the World Juniors. But Leah Sanderson and Fagamo will be coming into camp, and I'm wondering, do they have a little bit of an advantage, perhaps, in the sense that they've been playing, where a lot of other guys haven't played for eight months. These guys were playing over in Europe, and now they're coming in, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say game-ready, but certainly much closer than some other guys. I do believe uh, you're on to something there. I, I think they have an advantage. They know what it feels like to be in a game situation again. They they understand the intensity of a shift and what it's going to feel like 40 seconds in when you can't breathe. And uh, They have that in their memory bank. So certainly I think they can have a leg up on some other players. Now, with that being said, I, my son's playing over in Germany right now in the DEL, and I've watched a few games. The game is played quite differently over there it's a little bit of a slower game it's a it's a a build game and then take the puck back uh not a lot of physicality so sometimes that can be misleading as well they'll have to adjust to what we're doing over here on the small ice but they will have had uh the understanding of time and space uh the fatigue factor the the timing of of handling the puck and all that other stuff where others won't so uh pros and cons both ways Hovering over this 56 game season is the you know COVID 19 and the protocols. Just a couple of questions: Are, are you currently being uh, being tested? Do you have any concerns about coaching this season? And in is there a protocol yet of how many times you will be tested during the season? So uh, I'll start with the concerns part. I feel like I'm in really good hands. Uh, first of all, with our trainer uh, Chris Kingsley, he's done an outstanding job to protect. Uh, and give us some advice through the doctors, uh, the work he's done to protect not only me, but my family as much as he possibly can. 
while I'm at the rink and certainly at home too. So if we follow what guides he's giving us through the doctors and the league, uh, we feel like we have a chance to remain healthy. If I'm dumb enough as an individual myself to go out and do stupid things and put myself in a real bad situation, uh, that's on me. And if I do things like that and bring it into the group, then I'm making it bad for everybody. So one, I feel really good about the people I'm, uh, I'm around. I think health comes first all the time. So we will be diligent uh, as we go through as coaching staff, players, putting them in situations where it's safe and healthy. Um, have we been tested? I've been tested all the time just to be in the building here. Uh, mm-hmm. We have to test three times a week to, to get into, uh, into our practice facility. Uh, there's not a time we walk around here without our masks on. They're on all the time. Uh, we've had coaches meetings uh, with the American League staff, and we found uh, a bigger boardroom. We've each had our own desk or table, if you will, um, spaced out, and we're basically yelling across the room during our meetings. So <laughs> we've taken it to an extreme, and we've sure. been fortunate that really to date nobody's been affected by the, the pandemic here. Um, and we hope that that can continue. Todd, thank you so much for coming on today. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, one last question to, to sort of wrap things up. You mentioned the American League and your meetings with them. Uh, you, you told me last season that you were having coffee with Stutz uh, every couple of days or a few times a week. Um, and I'm just curious, how is the relationship with Robo going? You, you talk about spending time together. Um, were you involved in the interview process? What have you guys been doing, watching video together? Just how are the two of you preparing for what's coming up next? Because really, it's not only important what happens with the NHL and the Kings, but right behind it with all these great prospects, what happens in Ontario is so critical to, you know, that next step in this process. Absolutely. Um, you know, that, that group of players, wherever they are, uh, are the future for our organization. So they have uh, taught and directed, molded and cared for um, by, by the best possible people around. Uh, Scott's last year was outstanding. I had a great relationship with him. He and I were early birds. We we worked out together. We discussed the game and, and what was going down at their level, at our level. Um, I hope for, I believe that can continue this year with, with Robo. Uh, we've had a tremendous uh, six weeks, if you will, uh, dissecting the game, going through uh, individual tendencies, uh, system play not only ours but looking at other teams talking about language uh how we would teach something type of drills that we would use to get points across and uh i know when i entered the american league many many years ago i never had that i never had that opportunity uh, i had to learn on the fly um, i think it's tremendous for him but it's also been really good for us because he's he shared his thoughts and ideas uh with us and Let's face it; it's a game of uh, a game of ideas. No one individual has a has the answers to everything, and the more we can collaborate and, and steal from each other, the better. But uh, I think that team is in really good hands, uh, both prospect wise and coaching wise. Uh, that they'll they'll develop over time. Certainly, certainly will with that group there. I guess we have to sneak one more in then uh, on your way out the door. He told us he's a big rock music guy. He loves Guns N' Roses, loves Metallica. I'm assuming being from Western Canada, maybe you're more of a country music guy? 
You absolutely got that right. So uh, we'll be fighting over the uh, the stereo in the, the weight room at 5 o'clock in the morning if he can get up that early. I don't know if that can happen yet, but we'll see. Fair enough. Todd, it's been fantastic. Thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I uh, can't wait to see you back at the rink here in a couple of weeks. Well, thanks for having me, guys. You stay healthy. Have uh, a great Christmas yourselves and to all the Kings fans. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the near future. All right, there you go. Todd McClellan, head coach of the LA Kings. We'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. Run fast for your mother, run fast for your To the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Third period, welcome back, uh, DB. Any thoughts there on Coach McClellan? I just love Todd. I think he's fantastic. I think he's the right man at the right time for us. He was as transparent. He was as transparent as Luke was, and he said that from day one. And he's been consistent in his messaging and his contact with us. So they have the right man. It's just a matter of uh, him. You know, continuing to teach this team, uh, have the younger talent develop, and uh, hopefully he can build off of last season. So at least the end of last season, the last 20 games, John, I think the team really found their stride. It's just tough to carry it over 10 months later. But um, just an, always enjoyed talking to Todd because he's honest, as open as a coach I've ever, I've ever dealt with. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Uh, great person to deal with. A uh, couple of takeaways there for me. I, I loved what he had to say about Dowdy and just sort of the perspective on the last couple of seasons uh, because clearly the demise of Drew Dowdy has been greatly exaggerated in my opinion, so uh, I, I liked his perspective there. I did uh, pick up on the fact that he wanted to correct some of the earlier reports of where they are in sort of the, the, the rebuilding process, and uh, there's still a lot of work to be done there. Um, sure. The lines did sound familiar, familiar to uh, what we've been putting out there as the projected lines, no surprise there. Although there was one little uh, aha moment or kind of hmm um, when he talked about Trevor Moore being on the third line. I, of course, had uh, uh, penciled in uh, Carl Grundstrom on the third line playing alongside of Lazat and Carter. He was talking more about Moore or Wagner. So we'll see how that develops. Really, DB, the, the bottom six is the most interesting, probably even just the fourth line in general uh, in terms of training camp battles. I mean, as Todd said there, right. first, second and third lines fairly set. Fourth line, so many questions. You have Jod in the mix. You have Amadio. You have now Leas Anderson, who I'm told they want to get a long look at. And then Todd gave his perspective on these players coming over from Europe, including Fagamo, and whether they're in game shape and ready to go and how that might be something different to factor in compared to most years when European players come over, you want to give them some time in the American League. So a lot in play on the fourth line for the LA Kings right now. Yeah, the optics have to change, John. I mean, with respect to who's been playing, who hasn't been playing, where they've been playing. So it's a very different um, season. And with respect to evaluating the bottom six or the bottom three talent, yeah, it's going to be, that's good to see. At least there'll be some battles in that short training camp of who's going to have the uh, the starting position come opening night. 
Yeah, and on defense, things are largely settled as we've reported previously. Yeah. So you have Dowdy with Olimata, and then you have Roy Walker, Anderson, McDermott as your six, and your seventh defenseman on the roster, not your seventh D in terms of the lineup. But it was going to rotate between Clegg and Bjornfoot. If I'm Kale Clegg right now, forget about what jersey number I'm wearing. And if I'm 34 or 10, that doesn't matter right now. Uh, if I'm Kale Clegg, I have a leg up because Bjornfoot is tied up with the World Juniors. And so I'm going to have that opportunity to come in and really gel with the guys and click coming out of camp. And so I would imagine that Kale Clegg right now has to be excited about that opportunity. Yeah, he has to seize the moment. Absolutely. But you're right. He, he definitely has a, a leg up. All right. Let's get to some predictions, Dennis. But before we do that, rules for next season. We've talked a lot about um, how things are going to be laid out with the, the roster sizes and the training camp. And there are just some other rules that we can pass along as people are trying to get caught up with, with how the league is going to work. Um, IR is going to work the same. It's still going to be seven days once a player goes on IR before he can return. Long-term injured reserve is going to be the same thing. Minimum of 10 games. We, of course, saw that with Dustin Brown coming out of training camp a couple years ago. They had to uh, put him on the sidelines for 10 games to to sort of open the season there. And um, then it was, you know, you had to get him reintegrated into the team. Uh, conditioning loans remain 14 days. So if you send a player who's been on the sidelines, perhaps on the taxi squad for a long time, hasn't played, if you want to send him to the American League to get some playing time, uh, those conditions are, are typically 14 days. And then um, waiver players, if you claim a player off waivers, again, you have the uh, 10 games and 30-day rule that you need to keep them on your uh, NHL roster there. You can't just get them and then stash them in the American League. Um, so there are some things there. Uh, and Dennis, on the division um, alignment, there have been a lot of people asking, well, how did Minnesota end up in the Pacific Division or the West or whatever you want to call it, the new Smythe over Dallas? Um, in talking to some people, really, it came down to travel more than anything else. They, I guess the league believes that the travel leg is going to be easier coming back and forth uh, to Florida with a team in Dallas, and they felt that um, for the Western teams, having St. Louis, Minnesota, uh, and Colorado sort of all together, you do that Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis road trip, and that makes things a little bit easier. From a scheduling standpoint, John, um, Stevie Eisenman in Detroit gave some uh, clarity about what's going to happen. So basically, it's going to feature road games of two, four, or six games. So like we talked about previously, the team's going to go into a city, uh, play a team twice, and either go on to the next city or go home. So, mm-hmm. But that's the way it looks it appears going to lay out for the 56-game schedule. Well, that would be great. That would be like we talked about on the previous episode, a little bit more baseball-like. Baseball. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting when you when you get into a market like, and there's very few of these that exist, but when you get into a market like Southern California, does it have to be two against LA and then two against Anaheim, or could it be four games that you, you are able to alternate? So maybe you play LA, Anaheim, you know, and then maybe Anaheim again, and then you go back to L.A., or you just alternate between L.A. and Anaheim. I think it'll be interesting. At least it, yeah. it's it's a wrinkle. It's an option that exists in, in very few markets. Uh, you know, like you could take the tri-state area Agreed. in New York. Because of distance. Yeah, because the distance is so close. But it doesn't, obviously, when you go to Dallas, you're going there for two games, and that's just uh, that's the way it is. How about some predictions for the season uh, here, DB? We have um, the odds came out for the division. So you have Colorado at uh, nine to five, Vegas at two to one, St. Louis at nine to two. They're clearly the front runners at the top of the division. Um, and what we can do a full preview show like we do with the fourth period and putting all of our predictions out for who wins the all the awards and, and, and who wins the Stanley Cup. We can do all that later. But just sure. staying with the Kings and the and the new uh, division really nobody seems to know what happens after Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis. You have five teams. They're all jammed up. You have Arizona, uh, Minnesota, San Jose, L.A., and Anaheim tends to be the typical ranking that people are are putting them out there. And uh, do, do, you have a, do you have an early thought? I have my thoughts. I'll let you go first, though. Do you, do you have a thought of where you think the Kings finish in this division? Yeah. 
I wouldn't take those 12 or 14 to one odds to win the division. Um, based on the lack of movement in the roster and probably the resistance to acquiring any established talent in the marketplace and probably not wanting to play the young kids for reasons that you have, I've gone over. Um, I think they're tanking the season. I think they're playing for the first overall pick. Okay. I'm going to take the opposite approach. How many nights out of 56 games will they be favored to win a game? And maybe eight or 12. I think they are honestly playing for a very high pick next season, which will solve a problem, John, that you have brought up. Mm-hmm. Like what's the one facet that they don't have on this team sure. or in the prospect system is that that elite defenseman. And you'd have the option of an Owen Power or a Luke Hughes or a couple other high draft picks uh, that are on the defensive side. This is a d- defense-heavy drafting in 2021. I, I just think that they are going to stand pat and not really care too much about standings. Okay, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I think that uh, along with McClellan and his interest in winning and turning the corner uh, with players like Drew Doughty, who we talked about, et cetera, I think that this team is going to be able to build some momentum off of what happened in the second half of last last season. Uh, and I also point to a couple of other things. And, and, and maybe these statistics don't matter because it's been so long, right? But check this out. Last season, they were 4-7-0 and against Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. So the three teams that are exiting the division, they did not do very well against Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver. Right especially coming out. Uh, yeah. So on the flip side, um, the teams coming in, St. Louis, Colorado, and Minnesota, they were 4-3-1. and one. So they were over 500 against those teams. And then against the Pacific Division teams that are remaining, so the, you know, the Arizonas and San Jose's and whatnot, they were 6-6-1. Six, six and one. So I kind of like the way that things uh, stack up. I expect them to be better under uh, Todd in year two. And at the same time, Dennis, I just don't have a lot of faith in Arizona, Minnesota, uh, uh, San Jose, you know, Anaheim. I think, I think it's there. It's, it's there. I mean, we talk about Kale Clegg seizing the opportunity. It's there for the LA Kings to seize the opportunity probably more so than it would have been in a regular Pacific division, a regular 82 game season. It's 56 games. This team knows, you know, the lineup. If they come out and they play the way that, you know, I think I expect them to play, I certainly could see them sneaking into that fourth playoff spot. Well, they're going to have to do it based on defense. The only team that scored less than Los Angeles last year was Detroit. And they did nothing to add to the offense. Absolutely nothing from an establishment standpoint. So if you think that FERC's going to emerge, great. If you think that Lee Sanderson or the other players on the bottom six are going to impact offensively, fine. Drew Doughty would have to be way better offensively. There's not an impact player other than Drew on on defense. So to me, I think this team maybe and if they get the same goaltender they got down the stretch, then yeah, they have a puncher's chance. But the, the fact that they didn't do anything to address their offensive issues, they're they're gonna fight Anaheim for seventh place. And and I agree. I think Todd will be great. I think that this look, here's the thing, John. If you look at what this team did last season, they did drive play, opportunities to score goals. But they couldn't confront them. So either one or two things happened. They had bad luck shooting. Well, the, the players, frankly, aren't good enough. And I think it's not really bad luck. I just think when I look at the lineup and I look at the bottom nine, if Martin Fork's second line right wing, like that's an issue, right? And, you know, you don't go want to go out and get Mikel Granlund. I get it. I understand it. I just think there's just simply not enough, not enough on offense for this team to really make a move in the standings. Well, and I disagreed with you when you made that point in a previous episode, and I'll disagree with you again. They didn't go out and get a free agent. They didn't go out and add offense that way. But 
getting a full season out of Gabe Velarde is going to give you more offense than you were getting out of players in that position last year. Accepting the fact that Adrian Kempe is not a center and he's a winger and moving him into a position where he can have more success, I think should help him. Uh, Getting Martin Furk in there. uh, I'll give you a prediction right now. I'm going to give you my number. Uh, Of course, Furk came on here and he was talking about scoring all kinds of goals. I'm going to predict Martin Furk gets you 24, the equivalent of 24 goals. So you can do the 56 over 82. Yeah, that's the pace will be a 24 goal season. He's not going to get 24 and 56. Understand what I'm saying? I just didn't do the math. Yeah, no, totally. So you know, 24 times you know the 56 divided by 82, whatever that is. That's his pace. He's going to be at. I think Dowdy will be better because he's going to like his partners better. Whether that ends up being Olimata or maybe he's going to get some games with Bjornfoot, which we know he has uh, you know a liking for. I think Mikey Anderson's going to emerge uh, as a real. Not a threat, but he's going to be. He's going to add a lot more. He's, it's a dynamic addition to that uh, defensive core and allows people to sort of slot in where they belong. I think Jeff Carter's going to get off to a slow start this season, but I think you'll see him be more productive in the second half. He's of course coming off of the uh, the, the core injury, which was allegedly healed, and he's good to go. But I just think players like that coming off of injury could see a slow start there. Um, I think Quick and Peterson. I think you'll see a split fifty fifty on the goaltending. I don't mm-hmm. think I think it'll be like 28-28. I don't think it'll be 32 games for 32. Although that'd be funny, 32 for 32, but uh I don't think it'll be a 32-24 split. I think it'll be more like 28-28. And it comes down to this for me, Dennis. I like the coach and I like the goaltending. And that gives me a lot okay. of confidence. So I understand that there's not an offensive explosion coming from this team this season or maybe even the season after. But I look at those other teams and I just think, hey, you know what? The Kings were able to hold their own against those teams last year. They're going to be better the second time around, uh, you know, the track uh, with this coach. And I, I, that's what I think. I think the Kings will be right there. If they don't finish fourth, I think they finish fifth. I don't see them second from the bottom. I don't think that they're tanking. Uh, I think it's going to be a very competitive season for the LA Kings. I would agree with you, John, if they had made some – and I saw they – I agree with you. I think the window's open. I don't think they've chosen to walk through it because they've – again, I mean, we can go back and forth on this. But, again, they didn't do do anything to address the most yawning need on this team. And, look, if you're if you're going to progress um, – if you're going to project Furk at that at that level, then he's the replacement for Todd Foley's production, right? Because what does Todd Foley get? He would get 24 goals. So that's your, that's your solve on the second one. It's just that – and the Gabe Velarde thing – if they surrounded him with more legitimate established talent, like I would agree with you that his production will go up. I don't trust that those two wingers are going to help his production. And it's as simple as that. And that's because I think there would have been better options. Uh, look, I just did some quick math for everybody out there. The, uh, the prorated number on a 24 goal season in this shortened 56 game season is 16 goals. So um, I don't know where you place your bets, but if you're, if you're taking an over underline somewhere on Martin Furk and the number of goals, I'm putting it down at 16. I'm sure that I'll get a text from Alan Walsh. He'll appreciate that. Uh, of course, he's agent to the stars and he's uh, agent for Martin Furk. There you go. DB that's that's our prediction then so you're on the record you say no they're going they're all in on being terrible uh and they'll finish at the bottom of the division near you know they're in the lottery own power okay I'm saying yeah you're going you're going that all right I'm going the opposite I think this is going to be a much more competitive season and boy DB can't wait to argue about this more with you as the season opens up training camps right around the corner then the season starts on January 13th but before we get to all that 
we still have plenty of World Juniors to talk about, not on today's episode, but in future episodes, we'll be talking about that. Nine prospects, the future of the LA Kings. It's all starting. It's all happening, Dennis. This is the time of the year when people should be glued to their TV sets. The NHL Network it will be televising all of this. You have Byfield. You have Spence on Team Canada. You have Turcotte, Kaliev, Brock Faber on Team USA, uh, plus a whole host of other players, including Bjornfoot, who, who's wearing the, uh, the A for uh, Team Sweden. All kinds of players. Finland, Slovakia. Slovakia, Czech Republic, etc. A lot to be excited about, uh, a lot to watch, and it's it's the best tournament. I've said this so many times, Dennis. It's the best tournament for hockey fans, so enjoy it. It all kicks off on Christmas Day. Uh, Dennis, episode one, fantastic. Episode two, amazing. We'll have to see if we can top this with episode three of the uh, the new season here. Can't wait, Jay. Let's do it. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, enjoy the programs. Go back and take a look at last year's uh, fantastic five episodes, which includes Colin Frazier, Tony Granato, and uh, the aforementioned Roman Volpot among the five. So take a listen to those, and we'll be back soon with episode three of the second season of Kings of the Podcast. Thanks for the support, everybody. We appreciate it. Suffering from something